Vegetables are green. Aliens are green. Because as she also points out, you never know what you're going to catch in there. Not a Pokemon, I'll tell you that much. Hello and welcome to Pass the Hot Sauce, a Roswell podcast. I'm Aliza Ora. I'm Lisa Abigail. And I'm Lorena Rose. We're here to talk about every episode of the 1999 WB series Roswell, one episode at a time and spoiler free. Today we are discussing season one, episode six, 285 South. According to IMDb, this is the one where a book entitled Among Us leads the gang to a geodesic dome where they discover information that may reveal Max, Isabel, and Michael's origins. This episode was written by William Sind and Thania St. John. William Sind was a staff writer for The West Wing. He also wrote an episode of True Calling with Eliza Dishku. I loved that show. I have not seen it. It's on my list. And Thania St. John, we've talked about before. She is now on that show Project Blue Book, so still Mm -hmm. in the alien world. The episode was directed by Arvin Brown, who has a ton of directing credits, mostly at this time for one episodes like Dawson's Creek, Party of Five, and Popular. More recently, he's directed a lot of NCIS episodes. This episode originally aired on the 10th of November, 1999. Cool. So let's jump right in. Yeah. The episode starts, and we see Michael falling through a pipe into the UFO center. Onto a stuffed alien. Yes, onto a stuffed alien <laughs> who he, like, apologizes to. Maybe the first time we've ever seen him apologize. I don't know. Remember a few episodes ago when Michael broke into the sheriff's department, and I was so proud of him for being good at doing crime? Uh-huh. He has forgotten all of those skills. He has no gloves. He has no exit plan, as far as I can tell. Like, can he fly? Is he going to go back up the chute? How's he planning to get out of this place? Oh, also, boy. I had a lot of questions about, like, where the other end of the chute is. Is it right. the roof? Like, how did he get? <laughs> I would love to see how he entered that chute, how he entered yes. that Well, place. And what is the purpose of that chute? What would ever need to be transported <laughs> from wherever it is to an exhibit that seems to be accessible to the public like do things just fall out of there on occasion as like a surprise aliens maybe the aliens drop down as part of the exhibit (laughs) maybe it's like you know something happens when people walk by it's interactive gets your attention store the aliens on the roof or somewhere else outside that michael would have also had access to i don't know so (laughs) the point is it makes no sense yeah i i didn't get it but okay also one thing he forgot to do was Look around to see if anyone was there. (laughs) Yeah, he just assumed no one would be there. Michael. This also, again, appears to be a totally different area of the UFO center. It's not one we've seen before. The structure is not one we've seen. Yep. I mean, it is a big warehouse, so there's room for many exhibits here. And multiple offices, perhaps. Apparently. So Michael goes to this computer, uh, which has a search engine set up. And my question is, Michael, do you not know about libraries or the computer lab at your school? Because I think you could have Alta Vista'd this or asked Jeeves about Mr. Atherton. I mean, (laughs) I'm assuming that he 
is that whether or not it's true, he thinks that the computer in the UFO center has access to UFO specific files that might, might not be on the regular side of the internet. This could be a private database. Although the information he found is pretty general. It is. So there are some real gems on here. We find out Atherton lived from 1911 to 1959. And the 1959 death is really important. I'm wondering... Could he be the corpse with the alien handprint on his body? Maybe Could he, he be is. an alien who fled town after the murder? How did he end up in Roswell since his home was in Marathon, Texas? What's going on? The 1959 death is also important because it confirms that Atherton was a time traveler. Because while the first geodesic domes were designed in the 1920s, the first geodesic dome house wasn't built until 1960 under the direction of Buckminster Fuller. So, if this were a different kind of show, I would assume that he is, like, some kind of alien, and this is going to come back and be relevant later, and he has these cool time travel powers. I mean, we're living in a slightly alternate universe to our own, so maybe geodesic domes were invented and built earlier in this mm-hmm. alternate universe. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Yep. (laughs) We are living in a universe where there is an infamous 1927 buffalo visitation, which is listed as the thing that piqued Atherton's curiosity. I don't think it's a real thing. When I tried to Google it, I just found lots of information on buffalo nickels. See, so it's just a slightly alternate universe. And the geodesic dome was invented or built before 1960 in this alternate universe. (sighs) Yeah, they started making the houses uh, in the early 50s in this universe. Yeah. Yeah, okay. There's actually some fairly accurate information about the U.S. government's UFO programs here. There's also a list of Atherton's books, which include Among Us, the one that we saw Max reading, Pickle People. (laughs) Nice. I want to read that one. And Moon Men from Alpha Centauri. I want to read Pickle People. I want to know what the heck pickles have to do with aliens. I'm really interested in this. Maybe it's a children's book. You know, some people write in multiple genres. I could see there being a children's book called Pickle People. It's like an allegory where the pickles represent aliens and they're trying to blend in in a world of cucumbers. Or pickles are green. Aliens are green. Yeah, it makes total sense. There's parallels. So Atherton lived in Marathon, Texas, where his futuristic geodesic dome home is. Marathon is really interesting. So in the 2000 census, it had a population of 455. So at the time that they're traveling to it, it would have been a a very, very small town. It's known for good stargazing due to low levels of light pollution because it's not very close to a Mm -hmm. major city. So I think we should add this to our Roswell trip itinerary. They also, as of 2017, they have a Target store. But not really. So I think that it's based on this thing called the Prada Marfa, which is in Marfa, Texas. And it's a quote unquote pop architectural land art project. So essentially in Marfa, someone built a little building. They threw some Prada stuff inside and they put a Prada sign on it. And it's called the Prada Marfa. And so someone did a similar thing in Marathon, Texas, where they threw up. It's like a tiny building. They painted a target bullseye on it. They put a target sign It's a Target. (laughs) But, like, it's an art installation. It's not a store. It's really bizarre. Let's go. I would love to go. I also hope that their windmill is still standing because 
Marathon has been a small town since the early 1880s, and when it was first built, that windmill was their first jail. They would just chain (gasps) petty offenders to one of the legs of the windmill. Oh my goodness. Oh my god. I didn't know that really happened. Apparently it's a real thing, and I'm so excited about this. Oh my goodness. I want this whole episode to just be fun facts about Marathon. It's also named for Marathon Greece, which of course gives us mm-hmm. the name of that race that people that are very unlike me run. Very unlike me also. So as we mentioned, Michael doesn't notice a sleeping Kenny Banya, aka Milton, in the next room. Whoops. Oh no. Bad bad not breaking in, in skills. Yeah, not until he's like standing right next to him. And then the printer is magically malfunctioning and making very loud noises. Although I'm going to say, based on my experience with technology in 1999 and today, very believable that at the crucial moment when you just need something to be done, that's when the printer is like, toner low, paper jammed. That's true. Self-destructing. Also, so Milton wakes up and sees him and is like, hey, what are you doing here? And within a minute, Michael Horse shows up. Oh, like 10 seconds at Right, Michael Horse, who is like... He works for the sheriff's department. I don't know if he's like a deputy. A, he's a deputy a yeah. officer. So yeah, he shows up. How did he get in? Did he come yes. in through the chute? Yeah. How did he know to get there? <laughs> Was the front door? Did someone unlocked? see Michael just sliding down this roof chute that exists for some did, reason? Did Milton have like a, a panic button under his desk, like at like you know the convenience stores and whatever in movies? Yeah. And if I mean, I guess if the town is small enough and the police department or the sheriff's office is like right across the street then if a panic button went off in theory someone could be there that fast but but the crash down is right across the street so the sheriff's office is not is the sheriff's department right next to the crash down i wouldn't be surprised (laughs) but i don't think so no in any case he would have had to already be inside the building for him to be where they are this quickly and why is he pulling a gun on this clearly unarmed child? Come on. Can I say I noticed something in the credits? Ooh, which yeah. is that other than Isabel for like a split second, no one smiles in the entire <laughs> intro. They're all so serious. So serious. They all have dramatic faces. Not even Alex. And he's like the comedic, you know, he's the comic relief. But like, okay, so we're six episodes in. I think we could easily count the number of smiles and the number of out loud laughs that we've got have we gotten any out loud laughs yeah i don't think so this is serious 1999 drama we should here start a laugh there counter. is no laughter okay it's, it's I'm gonna not go a back laughing matter and Lisa. we're going to start this segment called laugh watch 99 to see if we can catch any of these jokers laughing all right the watch starts now yep <laughs> i'm not joking And if any of our listeners want to go back through the first uh, six episodes and do a tally for us, we won't say no. There is a great smile in this episode. Not like a teeth smile. It's a little cheeky smile, but um, there is a smile I really like in this episode. So I will talk about it when we get to that point. Great. So for now, we're in history class with Mr. Summers, who I'm going to just presume is like Buffy's goofy uncle or something who lives in New Mexico. (laughs) That's what I've decided. Good plan. And he does a really important job of telling them that the job of a historian is to expose people's secrets because people are not who they seem to be. That is not the job. Like, they're not paparazzi. (laughs) It's a bit of a stretch. But later he says, 
biographer. So like, is that what he meant in the first? No, one? they're the same know. thing, right? Sure, Isn't that sure, sure. All sure. history is biography, and all biography is history, and ugh, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> this show can't remember what it's talking about in one scene. Also, this project is due tomorrow, which seems really <laughs> rushed. Like, just find a random person, ask them all these invasive questions, and then write it up by tomorrow. And, oh, this kid's not here today? Well, shit on you. I love Maria's response. That's unacceptable. <laughs> Good for her for standing up for herself, but also her hair looks so cute. It's yes. running out really quickly. Yes. Yeah, I, I specifically wrote something about, like, how does Maria get her hair to do that Florence Henderson flip? With some rollers. It's cute. It is very yeah. cute. And she is rightly upset that her grade is now dependent on this truant troublemaker. So she and Liz are upset about this. But of course, who has it worse? Mm, Max, who gets to be paired with? Kyle. Kyle. Liz says Kyle's been acting weird since they broke up. And I agree wholeheartedly that this yeah. characterization came out of nowhere. Kyle acts weird for a lot of this episode. The whole way yeah. that he like goes up to Max and is like, okay, so let's talk about it. He's His tone is just bizarre. He's a totally different character from when he and Liz were together to then after they broke up. Totally yeah. different. Mm -hmm. And then uh, so much of this stuff. Like, why on earth would a history teacher accept assignments from the guidance counselor? This is not <laughs> how schools work. So Polsky's just like, I have a degree. Here you go. Here's a lesson plan for you. And this teacher was like, cool. Cool. Less work for me. She is a, the new attractive blonde teacher. So, you she's know. She's not a teacher. She's the guidance counselor. She's <laughs> a substitute teacher also. Oh, Don't no forget. Sense. And okay. she did her graduate studies in oral history and psychology. So she <laughs> is definitely uh, able to give recommendations for a history class assignment. But but not like how to do oral history or whatever, just how to pa pair up the students. You yeah. know, the questions to use and, and especially how to pair them up. Mm -hmm. So you can get the answers you're looking for. This is, mm -hmm. again, a like hit you over the head level of subtlety that's being exhibited by the dialogue here. Mm-hmm. So then we go to the sheriff station. And so you know how when you detain a juvenile, you just like keep them in the sheriff station, not in a dedicated juvenile facility, and then you call another juvenile to pick them up, and you definitely don't <laughs> notify their legal guardian or their CPS caseworker who's assigned to them because they're a foster child. And then the school is just cool with that one juvenile skipping out on classes to go pick up that other juvenile and <laughs> bring him back to school or something. Also, the... Sheriff Station says it's the Roswell Sheriff Station. Towns don't get sheriffs. It would be the Chavez County Sheriff's Office. You don't have your own sheriff's department for also, a town or a city. They are for counties or parishes. Also, 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 <sighs> what kind of sheriff station has a neon sign <laughs> designating it as the sheriff's <laughs> station? Mm -hmm. So then what time did Michael break in? Like, did he break in early in the morning or have they kept him there overnight? Because Milton is also there. So it seems like it couldn't have been that long. Well, Milton was there understand. but asleep. You know, like right. maybe he fell asleep for hours. It could have been three in the morning, could have been four in the morning. Yeah, maybe he fell asleep researching and now it's the wee hours of the morning. Okay. So Max comes up with a, a very clever lie to protect Michael, which is very nice. It also seems like he's done this before. 
Because, again, apparently in Roswell, you never involve anyone's parents. You just release one juvenile into the custody of another juvenile. The arrest of Michael should trigger an immediate investigation by CPS. Or, like, at the very least, they should have a serious conversation with his foster father about how it's going, if Michael needs additional support or resources or therapy. So, yeah, Max Max corroborates Michael's story, but then chastises him a second later while they're still in the sheriff's department. Well, they're they're still there. Michael's property is not like in any sort of lockup. It's just sitting on a desk, apparently waiting (laughs) for whoever wants to take it. So they go back to school. But they're hanging out on the bleachers because no one needs to go to class. Oh, yeah. They're not actually at school. They're just like in the vicinity of school, Mm -hmm. which is at school Mm -hmm. for them. Yeah. Yes. As close as they get. (laughs) Yeah. One of my favorite lines, I thought Michael was clever. Uh, Isabel's like, have you lost it? And he goes, no, I've found it. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, nice line, Michael. And also a great exit. He's like mad at them. He jumps over the edge of the bleachers and then just glares back at them as he walks away. So I want to point out the banner here is for the Catherine Lester dance that's coming up. And I couldn't see the whole tagline, but I'm pretty sure it says... Grab your guy before an alien does. Ooh. Did you Google who Catherine Lester is? Yes, it's not a real person. I oh, wonder if man. it was supposed to be like a Sadie Hawkins dance. But like, why not just say Sadie Hawkins? That can't be a copyrighted name. Anyway, it doesn't matter. So after that clever Michael line that Elisa likes is a Maria line that I absolutely detest, where she says to him, we have to do this completely queer history project. For tomorrow yeah i say no maria no bad maria no i noticed no, that no, also. no 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 wow yeah Boo. so for any of our listeners who weren't around at this time period i feel like the 90s thing was more the derogatory thing was like oh that's so gay as a derogatory yeah. i did not hear a lot of queer as a derogatory at the no, time me neither. I, but i know a lot of people who did so i mean and i don't think in 1999, I even knew of queer as a word that either gay people would use to describe themselves or people in the LGBT community. Um, I don't, I mean, but I was also, I think, kind of sheltered. Like, I didn't know that that was a word that would be associated with the LGBT community at that time. I was very much not sheltered. My mom worked at Fenway Community Health Center in Boston. She was the only straight person working there at the time. And um, and still, queer wasn't really used as much around me. I didn't know it as much. It was you yeah. know, gay, lesbian. I mean, now I'm wondering when it kind of came into context as a popular word. So yeah. queer has been a derogatory term for a long time. And Elisa, yeah. interestingly, I always think of it in like a Boston accent. And I think there's... Queer. Yeah, uh, 100%. Totally. Um, so queer. But it's really just been since I think like 2014-15 that it's been reclaimed by the community. Mm. And so yeah, obviously Maria is not using it in a good way. I think it's a really interesting word. It has a long history like we've been talking about. And it is something that can be very positive now. I really... I like the word to describe the queer communities that I'm a Me part too. of. Me too. Yeah. I hate the word when Maria is just saying it as a synonym as a synonym for like dumb or stupid or like a thing I hate. Yes. Yeah. Boo, yeah. Even boo, if I didn't boo. recognize it as being associated with that 20 years ago when I would have watched it, watching it now, it bothers me to hear it used in that context. So let's get the heck away from this scene and go to the Crashdown Diner. It's the Crashdown Cafe. 
Excuse Sorry. me. Sorry. <laughs> the diner that is known as the Crashdown Cafe. Thank you. Right. It <laughs> is it is a diner more than a cafe, but it's called the Crashdown Cafe because we need that alliteration. Yes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Max and Kyle very uncomfortably Ugh. having a conversation. They're both doing a really good job of awkward acting though. Yeah. And of course, Kyle's favorite TV show would be America's Most Wanted. Yeah. And Max doesn't watch much TV, which whatever, Max. So this gives me the first opportunity to talk about the television shows that are mentioned in this episode. America's Most Wanted debuted in 1988. And y'all, I did not have any idea. This show claimed credit for the capture of 1,200 wanted fugitives throughout its 25 seasons. My wow. uncle was on an episode of America's Most Wanted as a police officer. Oh, uh-huh. okay, great. <laughs> giving information about a wanted fugitive. Do you know wow. who else was on America's Most Wanted? Obviously not as a criminal. Barack Obama. Really? Yeah, after the original, I think, run ended, they did all these little specials as follow-ups, and Obama was interviewed on one of them, so he got to talk about the crime-fighting initiatives of his administration. That's cool. But I do like to think that Sheriff Valenti watched it with Kyle so that they could keep an eye out for wanted fugitives like Max. (laughs) Yeah. So Isabel and Liz are sitting at the counter and seeming to kind of get along a little bit. But Isabel knows that Liz is not paying attention at all and has the brilliant suggestion of bring them some ketchup. Liz is like, oh, so smart. Can I just point out the once again heavy handedness Kyle, what's the best thing that's ever happened to you? Max looks longingly at Liz. Me. No, no, no. Ugh. Whatever. Looks back and says, being adopted. Getting adopted. I know. And then Kyle's mean about it. And then yeah. he talks about how he won this gun competition. So whatever. And then also before ketchup, Liz's favorite flavor is vanilla. Of course of it is. Of course it is. <laughs> I know. I love and Isabel's giving her shit for it. Like, as she should. Like, Isabel's favorite flavor is, like, molten chocolate with caramel sauce and nuts, and it's being spoon-fed to her by giant, burly, shirtless men. (laughs) I mean, if my choices are the Neapolitan flavors, strawberry, chocolate, vanilla, vanilla is my favorite of those three, but it is not my favorite flavor in the universe. Overall, yeah. There are so many more complex, lovely things to eat other than vanilla. We know from a previous episode that Jim Valenti buys Kyle Ben and Jerry's, and I think Liz needs to get in on this, because once she discovers the joys of chubby hubby, she'll never go back to just plain vanilla. So, yeah, then Isabel has the brilliant idea that Liz should bring them some ketchup. (laughs) Even though they have no food on their table. They are not eating Everyone's like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Sure, ketchup. They're not eating anything. They don't need any ketchup. Well, they do get food later because when they're walking out, there's a burger on the table and something else. So, like, it could have been preempted. But she's also not working. Like, she's not in her uniform. Right. No, she she was very obviously wanting an excuse to go over there. Yeah. And Kyle is super mean. (laughs) He, like, immediately puts Max Mm -hmm. on the spot and is like, so, have you ever been in love? Ugh. And I'm just like, Liz, walk away. Just walk away from the table. Be like, I brought you your ketchup. Bye. I don't need to stand here and be humiliated. Yeah. Come on, Liz. But she doesn't. Also, doesn't it go both ways? Like, doesn't Max get to ask Kyle questions, too? Because this is really just Kyle <laughs> drilling Max. Yeah, it's an interrogation. And Max is just letting it happen. It's like, what about your questions for Kyle? 
I mean, yeah. he asked him at the beginning. He knows that Kyle's favorite show is America's Most Wanted. That's right. That's right. And he likes shooting guns. Yeah. Although I think Kyle volunteers that information himself. Yeah. And then we go to another pairing where you know that only one of them is doing any of the asking. Maria and Michael are pulling into the gas station, and Maria is incredulous that Michael watches The View, but he insists, it keeps me in touch with my feminine side. And so here are my fun facts about The View. <laughs> the View was created in 1997 by Barbara Walters. The uh, the hosts when Michael would have been watching it were Barbara Walters, Meredith Vieira, Star Jones, uh, Lisa Ling, and Joy Behar, who 22 seasons later is still a co-host of the show. Wow. Which, by the way, would have aired while they were in school. So he either taped it or he just watched it while he was skipping school because apparently he just does that all the time. I think we know which one he does. <laughs> yeah. We're at the gas station and gas is only a dollar twenty-four. I know. I miss those. I mean, I haven't had a car in 10 years, but I still miss those days. I don't think I ever experienced those days, actually. Gas was expensive in California. I remember there being one gas station that was 99 cents, and it it didn't break a dollar for a while while other ones did, so my dad would drive, like, very much out of the way to go to that one. There's so many taxes on gas in California. I don't think gas was ever $1.24, even though I was driving in 1999. So Michael here demonstrates that he's been paying attention in driver's ed because he puts on his seatbelt before stealing Maria's car. <laughs> but only the shoulder part. He doesn't put on the lap part. That's one of those weird cars where they're separate. You have to do both. The car where you open the door and the thing like the thing like moves from one side of the door to the other. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, this is where I noticed that Maria is in a Texas tuxedo. Wow, 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 wow. Wow. Lovely. Wow. Um, and then, so I I wonder, why doesn't Maria go to the driver's side when she notices Michael is taking her car? Why doesn't she take the keys out of the ignition or at least open the door and, like, I don't know. I'm not going to advocate for her punching him in the face, but since the buckle's right there, she could unbuckle the seatbelt. She could yell to the guy for help who works at the gas right? station. She could jump up on the hood of the car to obscure Michael's view. She could call the guy at the gas station over to help. I mean, obviously, Maria wants to be abducted by Michael because she just jumps in the passenger seat and goes with him. Yeah. And she does call it an abduction. Yes. Which is I love it. Adorable. You're kidnapping me. No, wait. You're abducting me. <laughs> ah! Cute. Super cute. Right? She's scared, but she still doesn't forget to be funny. Yeah. It's very important. It's cute. She's also clever because she calls Liz from her cell phone that she's hidden so that Michael doesn't notice so she can let Liz know what's going on without tipping him off. On her giant brick of a cell phone yeah i couldn't believe they had cell phones uh amazing michael then throws this phone out the window which as maria will later point out is another crime and it's also really dumb because that could come in so handy for them later yeah michael is such an asshole in this episode (laughs) like more than ever before he's such an asshole she's clearly scared like she's freaked out and he's like whatever but he does kind of he comes around a little bit later Um, so Isabel uh, immediately realizes Michael's going to go to this geodesic dome, so she grabs Max. Liz tags along because Max doesn't want her to come, but then Kyle is mean. So Max is like, well, we can't let you be embarrassed in front of Kyle. Get in the car. 
Also, I love that Isabel is the one driving. I feel like often in shows and movies, it, it's always the guys driving. Like, for example, in Twilight, there was some Twilight movie I watched where uh, anytime Bella is in her truck with Jacob, he drives her truck. You know, so I feel like it's like a very common thing. But um, no, I love that just Isabel hopped in the driver's seat and it wasn't a question. She ties back her hair because this is business time. Oh, and she jumps knows in the what driver's she's doing. Seat. She's got to get into it. Also, it's a like convertible Jeep. So yeah. it makes sense to tie back your hair. <laughs> yes. But I still liked it. It was like, this is serious time. We're tying the hair back. And speaking of it being a, a convertible Jeep... Liz calls her mom. Well, wait, first we get our first glimpse of secret agent terrible at his job. <laughs> that's his name. I think that's his given name is I thought it was. Um, I thought it was Captain Obvious. Yes. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Not sure how he ever made Captain with that attitude, <laughs> right. but all right. That's a good point. And so he's calling Topolsky, who is in her office writing up a note on the Special Investigations Unit, code name West Roswell. Hi. That's not how code That's names not work. A code That's name. just the name of the actual location where you are. There's, not a co- There's nothing code about that. The thing that she does encode is her message tension in the ranks, waiting for them to slip up will happen soon. Again, she's talking about teenagers. And then she encrypts this by changing the font to Wingdings. To Wingdings. Excellent use of Wingdings. Wow, 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 wow. So, Aliza then... Yeah, then they're they're in the car. Liz calls her mom and is like, oh, I'm at Maria's house. I'm sorry. When I have my windows open and I'm on the phone, <laughs> people can tell. They're like, oh, it sounds so windy. Can you close your windows? She's in a freaking convertible. And her mom's just like, oh, you're at Maria's house? Okay, bye. I would like to do a time check because we discover in this episode, uh, like many others, that time doesn't really work in Roswell. So the sun is setting in this scene when they're driving, and we saw earlier in the sheriff's office there was a little day calendar that said it was the 28th. Based on the timeline of the previous episodes, I think it's the 28th of October. And because we have the glorious internet, I can now find out that on the 28th of October 1999, sunset was at 6.10 p.m. So... According to Google Maps, this trip would take a little more than four and a half hours to go from Roswell, New Mexico to Marathon, Texas. And Mm -hmm. yet they are all planning to be back at school the next day. How? Also, I hope that they reset their watches because Roswell's on mountain time and Marathon is on central time. Ooh, I didn't even realize So they're driving across state lines and time zones. And they're just like, oh, we're just going to pop out for this quick nine hour round trip and we'll be back before school starts tomorrow. What? I mean, if it's 6, 10 p.m., school doesn't start for 13 hours. They can do mm-hmm. it. Okay. If um, they don't sleep, sleep and they spend it's also only a, a few hours in Marathon finding the secrets of their existence, sure. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so Isabel points out that Liz is lying to her mom. And then this line that Liz has back, like, at least she knows what species I am, strikes me as out of character for Liz. Like, it's so mean. Yes, it's yeah. super catty. But it's also like attacking her for being an alien. And we know that they're keeping the secret to protect themselves, but also their parents. And this, writers, I don't believe you. Yeah, it does seem very out of character for Liz. And it's not her fault. It's the writer's fault. And that's, I think that's a, a good point. That often when we're frustrated with Liz, it's really the writers that we're frustrated with. And not the character. Yeah. No, well, I mean... The writers make the character, and sometimes they do a crappy, crappy job. 
They are uh, adult white males trying to write from the perspective of a teenage girl, which does not always make for the most well-rounded character that we would like to see. Right. Even if it were an uh, adult woman, you know, who was a, a teenage girl at one point, she would maybe be able to relate more. But the idea that, you know, cis men who were never teenage girls can write teenage girls and their lines is a little silly. Yeah. And mini tangent, I'm having this exact problem trying to find a comedic monologue for an audition that I have coming up. And everything is garbage that I'm finding like so far in my searching so far, because it's all written by dudes. And it's about women being catty with each other, women being upset at their boyfriends, women being upset about their bodies. And I'm like, is there nothing more interesting that I can talk about and be funny about like, than me being mad at my body or me being mad at a boy or me being mad at a friend? Like there, there has to be more interesting content out there. Like it's super frustrating. And all of those things are written by dudes. Yeah. Also, um, the age of women be- being mad at their bodies is over because we have Lizzo now. Yes. <laughs> Great. 100% that bitch. I wish. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, tangent over. We'll just transition right over to Maria's car with Michael and Maria. Yeah. the I like to call this the M&M mobile. Aw. <laughs> Cute. Yeah, thanks. Uh, and so Maria figures out, or Michael discloses that he's going to Texas. Maria thinks that the two most likely reasons are for contraband or some woman. <laughs> yes, I wrote that down too. Great line. Yeah. That, like, only two possibilities. Those are the only reasons that Maria can think for anyone to want to cross state lines. I also wonder with a what... minor in a stolen car. Yeah, which, you know, I wonder what point. kind of contraband she was imagining. <laughs> oh, <no>. Yes. <laughs> Like, alien contraband, maybe? And then Michael gets pulled over because he's going 94 miles per hour. And, I mean, I know he's not supposed to be the most thoughtful or logical, but if you're driving a stolen vehicle, maybe you're going to want to be a little more careful. Also, I am shocked, maybe to the point of disbelief, that that car could go 94 miles an hour. Right? Yeah, Maria tells him not to take it over 80 because it can't handle it. And I'm like, dude, it can't handle going 50. Come on. Right? Like, we're six episodes in, and how many times has her car broken down? (laughs) Yeah, I'm amazed. Between her Jetta and the Jeep, like, these cars are just constantly breaking down. I'm amazed anyone made it to Texas. (laughs) I mean, only one of the two cars made it there. (laughs) This is true. This is true. true. Maria's mom's car is just abandoned, I guess. Yeah, at that motel. (laughs) Yeah. At the porno Aladdin motel. (laughs) Okay. So Maria does feel sympathy for Michael's story. And so she lies for him. And Brendan Fair's face, his reaction to her story about just having to pee really bad is amazing. Like, he's just totally incredulous. And I don't know if it's like, oh, it's a combination. She's lying for him, which is nice. But also her story is just, he's like, what are you doing? (laughs) But it works. She's going to use her advantage of everyone thinking she's like a flighty, flaky little girl and just like go off on Mm -hmm. some crazy little tangent about needing to pee and just ramble so much that the cop lets her go. Cop's like, I don't want to listen to her anymore. Here, just take a warning. The highway patrolman gives him something, which I assume is a ticket, except he didn't write anything on it and he didn't have Michael sign it. So I don't know. I assumed it was a warning. Um, So... 
I do want to say something about after Maria gave her pee story. This is the <laughs> smile that I was talking about earlier. She oh. has this like this little smile. And I read it not only as her like being proud of her ability to come up with a story on the spot, but also because it seemed like she had the power and she liked it. Like she mm. knew that she could have gotten him arrested. His fate was in her hands for a second and she didn't. And so her benevolence makes him like indebted to her, giving her more power. It just like it seemed like she was happy to have that power over him. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's how I read it anyway. I dig that. I think she's also starting to like him a little bit. What? She hates him. What are you talking about? Oh, okay. <laughs> totally. So I have a theory about why Kyle is so frazzled and mean all the time. I think that he's going through some serious emotional turmoil because he and Jim are moving house every single week. <laughs> He has a different bedroom. So I pointed out in our last episode that from episode four to episode five, they move house. From episode five to episode six, Kyle's room is different. So there's a new football collage on the door and the door is much closer to the wall. The closet is different. The furniture is different. There's one poster that's the same, but this bedroom is a different layout than the one that we saw in the previous episode. So Jim Valenti, settle down. He's, uh, you know, he's taken the time to nest and put up his new posters, like the one that is just a nondescript hockey player and says, in your face. There's also one above his bed that's for a boxing match, I think. But the back of his door, there's a collage of football players that it looks like he's cut out of magazines and like pasted to the door. Yes. I don't know that that's a thing that a character like Kyle would do. Yeah. I mean, that's a thing I did in high school. (laughs) (laughs) I had like my hot guy wall with all yeah. the cute boys from magazines. Yeah. Maybe that's what Kyle has. Maybe that's why he's so frustrated all the time because he's trying to figure out his sexuality. Oh. New theory. It's the turmoil of moving constantly and of trying to figure out who he is. But I don't have a lot of sympathy for him in this scene. I don't know why he thinks he has any right to know where Liz is or what she's doing or who she's with. He's also probably tipping off all of their parents because he's calling all of them. Yeah. Yeah. He's like playing detective. But also, why would any of the parents tell Kyle? Why does Kyle have any right to know where any of these people are? Uh-huh. Yeah, he's not Ugh. friends with any of them. He's not dating Liz anymore. So yeah, why would any of the parents be like, okay, random kid that goes to school with my kid, like, sure, I'll tell you what's going on. Mm-mm, no good. And even if he has his weird story about the history book that also doesn't make any sense, like, you just like, okay, well, I'm sure you can give it back to her in school tomorrow. It's fine. You don't need your history book to do the oral report assignment. Yeah. And Kyle says to the sheriff, who is immediately suspicious, that he has no idea where the group is going, which is interesting, given what happens later. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless he then followed his dad back to the sheriff department, saw his dad put together the pieces about 285 South, and then hit the road faster than his dad onto 285 South and caught up with them first. Yep, that seems plausible. Sure. Yeah. So we go to a rest stop or a gas station or something, and the Jeep crew is there. Liz has brought Isabel some kind of peace offering. I think it's hot chocolate, or maybe it's coffee with a lot of milk in it. Looks like hot chocolate. Yeah, and so she spills them all over themselves, and then she just chucks the cups on the ground. (laughs) And I say, how dare you, litter bug Liz? Not cool. Spilled or not, those cups are trash. Or recycling. There's a garbage can somewhere. Come on. And if you don't have a garbage can, put it in your car and throw it away later. But also, I loved that Isabel just 
just simply, you know, gets rid of her stain and ignores Liz's shirt for a while. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and also, I guess it wasn't that hot because neither of them reacts like, ow. It's more just like, oh, this is annoying. Oh, darn. My clothes are dirty. Whoops. Yeah. And then Liz tells Isabel that she's like the Elle McPherson of the sophomore class. This is quite the compliment. <laughs> yes. I want to put on our social media a picture of Katherine Heigl next to Elle McPherson so y'all can judge for yourselves. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then Isabel's like, well, I guess you envy me. Isabel has the questions memorized. She's like, that's question number 12. Who do you envy? Like, All right. Maybe she has the photographic memory, too. Yeah. I mean, she could read that book super fast. So it's Kind of makes mm. sense to me, too, that she'd be able to commit all that to memory very quickly. That's true. And then I'm curious what y'all think, because when Liz tells Isabel she's not trying to take Max away from her, she couldn't even do that. I'm like, yeah, of course you couldn't. Why would you? And then she asks, if they find something at Marathon, would Isabel take Max away from her? And I'm like, Liz, what? He's not yours. He can make decisions for yeah. himself. And then Isabel suddenly sympathetic to her, and this is when she cleans her sweater for her. What? Right, sympathetic, it, like like it would be the same thing, taking away from his sister or taking him away from a girl he likes and isn't dating for a couple weeks. Yeah, I don't get this at all. I also think Isabel's character has changed dramatically. Yeah, yeah, for no reason. Her, yeah, her. I feel like they're still trying to figure out what her character is going to be. There's been yeah. a few flashes of her being very much like the way she is in the books. And then there's a lot of times where she's just very different from the way she is portrayed in the books. She's a little all over the map still, I feel like. I just don't think that any of the characters so far seem to me like real people. We're only six episodes in. It takes a little time. Okay. You know who's definitely not a real person his secret agent guy who's so bad at his job he has forgotten that he owns a cell phone so he's wasting time standing at a payphone not talking which gets him in trouble which tips max off mm-hmm. which gives max a fun opportunity to use his powers to flatten yeah. the tires. popping the tires i max needs to go to the secret agent school because he's much better at it yeah he'd be good at it and then we're back in the m&m mobile and the car is smoking as <laughs> predicted because yeah. she said it couldn't go over 80 94 is a great deal above 80 yeah, and Maria told I, him. i'd like to take this moment to say that if you're if you're ever in a car and it starts overheating and you're on the highway or whatever you can't pull over right away you're supposed to blast the heat turn on the heat in your car huh. just blast it it'll draw the heat that? out my dad okay. knows about cars and that's what he told me and i've done it before I believe your dad. and it and it did work uh huh. you know I, it's not like a, a fix and then you could drive forever. It's like to get to a place where you can safely pull over. It's a Band-Aid. Yeah, it's very well, much a Band-Aid. Maria and Michael don't do this. Maria wants Michael to wiggle your nose, blink your eyes, do the Samantha Genie alien thing, which is yes. cute. Yes, she makes the best Bewitched and I Dream of Genie references. I know, all in one. And then Michael says he can't because he's not that good at it, but he gives it a try. The battery bursts into flames and he just closes the hood on it and is like, whatever. I, I feel like that's not how that works. <laughs> if it, the car bursts into flames, works. you can't just close the lid on it and pretend it's not happening. Also, if a car has big flames coming out of it, out of it I would say it's probably best to get out of the car. No, you can yeah. sleep in it for the night. <laughs> well, closing the lid extinguished the fire, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is very silly. But I will say that Michael and Maria has, have infinitely more chemistry than Max and Liz do. Yes. <laughs> they have so much chemistry. They're very cute together. 
Which is funny because they like don't like each other. Yeah. I mean, but that's, I feel like that is always how rom-coms work. Yes. Like they hate each other. They hate each other. They hate each uh-huh. other until they realize they don't. So I feel like we're getting the lead up to that right now. So I've also read several interviews with Mahandra and Brendan, and they have said that in real life, they also initially did not like each other. Oh, and really? And then in real life, they went on to date on and off for a while. Ooh. Oh, wow. Hmm. Life imitating art, imitating life. I feel like that's very common in Hollywood, though. Yeah. Well, Jason Bear and Katherine Heigl also dated. <laughs> that feels weirder. Yeah, it feels weird since they play brother and sister, but obviously they are not in real life. So (laughs) it's okay, kids. And then so this is where Kyle goes from having no idea where they are to sitting on an off street or on a side street, like waiting to turn on to Route 285 because he knows exactly where they are and he's going to follow them. This is so weird. Yes, because he heard a truck through Liz's phone. So obviously he knew exactly which highway they were on and the direction that they were driving in. Yeah. But but he's already, by the time he calls her, he's already on this street right near, like, what's going on? Yeah, what? I don't know. This is so weird. But he, I was proud of him for at least uh, being a better detective than Liz's mom because he heard a truck and he, and he said, you know, he's like, is that a truck? So this is also where Kyle says that he took her history book by mistake. And then I realized that when they all walked out of the diner, I don't think any of them had backpacks or any other belongings with them. Did <laughs> no. they just abandon their stuff? I do really enjoy Nick Waxler's line reading here where he's like, are you sure? Because I'm very close. <laughs> and it's just the right mix of like kind of goofy, but a little creepy. I enjoy it. And then Liz says, I'll see you at school tomorrow, Kyle, to which I say again, no, you won't. You're driving away from school and you still have many, 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 many hours ahead of you. (laughs) So Jim finds out that the car has been, that Michael's been cited with a speeding ticket driving Amy DeLuca's car, 285 South. I don't know why the highway patrolman just says they're going south on 285. He doesn't tell them a mile marker or a town or anything they're near. (laughs) That's not a location. That's not helpful. It's a very long road. Yes, they could be anywhere. They could be anywhere between Colorado. Well, I guess not Colorado, but they could be anywhere between New Mexico and Texas. And so the sheriff looks at a map. He immediately deduces they're going to Marathon because he also has a photographic memory. And so he is rememberized from the printout with the geodesic dome that that's where the author guy's house is. So now everyone's on the same page doing a chase. And I mean... We don't know yet if he knew what the key was to or if he had found the key somewhere and just knew it had to do with something. But he might know exactly what the key is to and he knows it's missing and that it goes to something in Marathon. So even though he doesn't know for sure who took it, I'm sure he has his suspicions and is, you know, detectivizing and putting the pieces together, perhaps. That's a great point. Yeah, we don't know how much he knows about the key. And now we're back in the motel, and this is the point where I feel like Michael is coming around a little bit. Maria is freaked out. She says she's freaked out. She wants to go home. She sounds on the verge of tears. And Michael kind of, for the first time, realizes that he's been an asshole and offers to go find her food and is actually a little bit nice. (laughs) I just don't get what prompted that you know like she was scared earlier too and he didn't feel bad for her why all of a sudden 
I kind of, well, look, I don't think the writing in the show makes a lot of sense, but I do think there's something about where she, she's just like, listen, like I've been putting up with this, but now like I'm feeling this way. I want to go home. And he's like, oh, I'm doing all of this because I want to go home too. I know how you feel. Mm. I don't want to be putting you in this position where like, yeah, this is actually really unfair to you. Okay. Let me go get some snacks. Let me go get you some Barnum's animal crackers. <laughs> okay, so Michael brings, this is, I think, the great mystery of this episode. What is a Mark bar? Because he's brought back clearly branded Chips Ahoy, clearly branded Doritos, original flavor, clearly branded animal crackers, clearly branded Fritos, and then a candy bar that is labeled Mark. Maybe they wanted to use a Mars bar and just, in the end, didn't get the Or a Clark bar? Something. <laughs> is it definitely Mark? It's not Clark? Yeah. The Mark Bar gives us our hot sauce sighting of the episode, though, because yes. what goes great with a Mark Bar? Tabasco hot sauce. Mm-hmm. And what other human urges do you feel? Yeah. Whoa. Oh, Maria, you sauce and minx. And Michael, of course, is like, not if you were the last woman on Earth. Whatever, Michael. Ditto. Yeah. But um, yeah. then why did you ask it that way? Yeah. Okay, Maria, sure. Right. Sure, Maria's you're not like, interested. I'm not into it. I'm just waiting for Isabel to come here so we can make eyes at each other. Yeah. yeah. Mahandra Delfino's fake writing is not very convincing, but it's okay because she's actually getting real answers out of Michael. His favorite ice cream is pistachio. His favorite TV show is Win Ben Stein's Money, which I also watched. Yeah. It's a great game show. It aired on Comedy Central from 1997 to 2003. It was hosted by Ben Stein, and during this time period, the co-host was Jimmy Kimmel. So I could see Michael enjoying that show. And then she asks him his favorite book. He says mm-hmm. Ulysses, which she doesn't yeah. believe. And to prove that he's read it, he uh, recites a sentence that he memorized, which, right. may I just say, that does not in any way prove that he read the entire book. Okay. So I wonder, do we think he actually read it? Okay, he also says what do. page the quote is on. And like, honey, no one knows what edition you have. We don't know what page number these things come from. <laughs> I do believe him, though. Like, I don't think the writers did a good job of, of making us believe him. But I think that the writers wrote it at, like they meant for it to be true. To like kind of be giving more depth to his character, showing us that there's not that we don't know that much about him. You know, yeah. he may not go to school. That doesn't mean he's not smart. school and intelligence are not you know it's not the same thing yeah that's fair and it also i think ulysses is a very appropriate story for these characters Mm -hmm. who are going Mm -hmm. on this big old journey um okay so then we get this really sweet exchange where maria and michael find out that they are kind of both looking for the same thing they both think that there's got to be something better out there for them than roswell new mexico and it's really cute and yeah she totally gets where he's coming from because of you know her stories that she imagined with if, with her dad coming back. Yeah. And then, of course, Maria gets her chance to tell Michael, not if you were the last alien on Earth. <laughs> oh. You can sleep on the floor, Michael. Just like always. Yeah, a round bed does seem like it would be really difficult to share. Yes. Uh, yeah, no way. A round bed sounds horrible. You both have it's to sleep so in like, like a C-shape. Also, yes. are the blankets round? Yes. Yeah. Oh, that sounds horrible. I mean, they've got to be custom sheets, right? Yeah, no way. Gross. Well, if we're ever in a nookie motel, as Maria calls it, we can find out for ourselves. I'll bring an air mattress and my Great. own blanket. <laughs> Great. Because as she also Good points plan. out, you never know what you're going to catch in there. Yeah. 
Not a Pokemon, Love. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> and then the next scene in the Jeep, the sound mixing on this was so weird. The song that is playing is competing with the dialogue, and I found it really Ooh. distracting. Yes. Did you all notice this? Yes, I did as well. The second this scene started, and both times I watched it for this episode, it's so distracting. It's too loud, and she's talking about Chinese food. And it's, yeah, you can, like, I can't focus on the dialogue because the song is just pumped up too loud. Yeah, I didn't like it. And also, so Liz is, they're, like, both apologizing to each other, which is what they do all the time, and it's, I'm bored of it. And then Liz says something about apologizing for her stupid life, getting them in trouble, and Max says nothing about her is stupid. And I would like to say, no, the writing of her dialogue is very stupid. <laughs> and that, uh, that stupid calendar she made for the shifts at the crash down that's pretty stupid (laughs) but case in point for stupid dialogue max it feels like my life didn't even start until i told you the truth that day liz yeah i know what you mean my eyes still hurt from how hard i rolled them (laughs) (laughs) and then max does this weird thing where liz clearly thinks he's going to kiss her but he's just using his powers to fix a tear in the jeep lining because he just wants to keep her warm Hmm. What? It was very weird. Mm-hmm. She was like pretty clearly implying that she wanted to kiss him, like leaning mm-hmm. in, and he leans in too <laughs> just to fix a thing. Yeah, that was which weird. like it's a tiny tear. There's no way it was letting cold air. It so. was weird, and it was also rude in my opinion. It's like very much <laughs> leading, leading her. her it was clear on. she wanted to kiss him. Why did he lean in like that? mean i also didn't know what isabel meant when she comes back max says they might be too late isabel spots the jetta and says in more ways than one like does she think they're they're blinking does she think they're just blinking in the motel (laughs) yeah she's like oh no they went to a motel that can only mean one thing whatever isabel let them boink hashtag let them boink (laughs) it's gonna be our hashtag for this episode (laughs) but i think that isabel's maybe just jealous because maria is is her girlfriend yeah she should not be blinking michael she should be at the at the nookie motel with isabel but if they were blinking maybe you should have knocked like liz wanted to instead of just opening the door with your powers which somehow causes Maria to roll out of bed and fall off the bed. <laughs> I know cute. it's a round bed, so maybe yeah. difficult, but still, who wakes Whatever. up like that? I think it was cute. Well, so I also, if you notice in this little exchange where Maria's like, oh, no, no, it's not what it looks like. Michael says, come on, honey, we don't have to lie. And then <laughs> Isabel is the one who says, I believe you, because Isabel is the one who this concerns because Maria's her girlfriend. Because the day Michael calls anybody, honey, it's all over. So I think Isabel right. here is letting Maria know, hey, look, I know you're not fooling around on me. It's cool. We still got this thing going on between us. Mm-hmm. As long as you don't <laughs> talk to me in public. Yes. Maribel forever. Hashtag let them boink. Hashtag Maribel forever. <laughs> it started with fear. How did we end up here? When the woman of your dreams is now the woman in your dreams. When it the homo is that the point at which kyle shows up because i i was wondering how did he know which room to go to but the door was open so maybe he knew which made me realize how did the three in the jeep know which room to go to 
Maybe they asked I at the front they desk. they went to the front desk, yeah. But, uh, and mean, people are just are, giving out information desk, willy-nilly. Yeah, do front desks tell you, like, where people are staying? Not usually. I mean, if you're Isabel, maybe they do. I could it's see true. her being pretty convincing with whoever's on the night shift at that motel front desk. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe they unlocked and opened the door to look into many <laughs> rooms room. and this was like the sixth one they tried so there's just an outtake somewhere where it's them barging out on a bunch of people who are boinking and be like sorry 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 who like very much are having sex yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so i think generally that max should be more supportive of michael but right before kyle comes in they have this little exchange where michael's like oh i guess you're here to be supportive as usual and max is like no i'm here to clean up your mess as usual and in this episode i think it's fair because mm-hmm. we've already seen Max get himself into trouble having to bail Michael out of this situation mm-hmm. that he created. And now he's just doing the same thing again, but even worse, because there are so many crimes that Michael commits in the course of this episode. So fair to be concerned. And then, of course, Michael ends up throwing Kyle across the room. And like, OK, maybe Michael's just really strong. Kyle immediately is like, ooh, you're aliens. It's super alien strength. There's a whoosh sound effect. So we know it's super strength, not regular strength. Yeah, that's what a whoosh means. Yeah. I mean, he has some powers. No, I know. But I mean, like from Kyle's perspective, this doesn't seem like the thing right. that you would be immediately like, what are you? Like, you just be like, oh, dang, man, what do you bench? Kyle is being such an asshole here, too. Oh, he's yeah. like, She's... Liz, I'm here to rescue you. It's like, fuck off, Kyle. Yeah, I'm going to get you out of here. She doesn't want, she didn't ask for that. Yeah. So Liz has, like, a good moment where she's just like, this is none of your business. Get out of here. Yeah, I'm not your girlfriend anymore. Yeah, and even if she were his girlfriend, mm-mm, he doesn't have the right to yeah. chase her places. Nope. No, she's allowed to do what she wants. And I did, I agree, like Liz, who is, I feel like she's suddenly strong. Whereas before she's been kind of a pushover and quiet, but this, she just stood up. She's like, I'm not your girlfriend anymore. Um, And then also she won't take the aliens bullshit anymore. Yeah. You know, she, she tells them that they can't keep secrets from her and Maria anymore. I love to see her like this. Mm-hmm. I do think Kyle gives up pretty easily considering what we've seen. So I wonder if this is uneven writing or if he's really driving away or if he just like follows them and maybe he'll come back in the next episode to oh. save Jim. Maybe. I don't know. We'll see. But I also, so Aliza, I get where you're coming from with Liz just being like, tell me everything. But I still think like the aliens get to keep secret whatever they want to keep secret because ultimately it's their lives that are at stake. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. But also it's affecting Maria and Liz. Yeah. You know, like Liz didn't wouldn't have been on this trip if not for the fact that Maria was essentially abducted. And, you know, Maria didn't want to go this far. Yeah, I do think in this particular incident, yes, it makes sense that they should know about this. I don't love the general overall attitude of like, I get to know everything about. Right, right. They need more information than they have about this. But they don't need all the information. You're right. They're not privy to all of it. Yeah, they don't deserve right. all of it. If they're going to steal, if Michael's going to steal Maria's car, and if Max is going to willingly let Liz come along on in their car, they need to have, like, Liz and Maria need to have some information to be able to effectively help in the situation. Totally. I just, I just like seeing her stand up for herself. Because mm-hmm. most of the time she's just too quiet. So hopefully we'll see more of that. Kyle also, before he leaves, is very sour, saying, I don't know what I ever saw in you. Yeah, it's like, well, whatever, Kyle, no one cares. Two, two seconds ago, you wanted to rescue her. So Yeah. 
So we then go to finally the geodesic dome. Yay! And it is now morning. The sun is out. And so y'all in Marathon, Texas, on what we can assume is the 29th of October, 1999, sunrise was at 8.04 a.m., so it's definitely after at least first period at school, you boneheads. Yep. Whatever. And also, they arrive in Marathon in one car. Yeah. So this is when I started wondering, wait, where's Maria's car? Where did Still they leave Still at the it? motel. I mean, Michael blew up the engine. He set it on fire. Maria's mom's car just lives at the porno motel now. Yeah. Which is hours from Roswell, mm-hmm. we're yes. meant to assume. Yep. And in a different state, so it's going to be a real expensive tow. So they go to the dome. There's another house there that looks pretty nice and they just ignore it like they just assume no one's living there i guess i don't i don't know what's happening there i mean maybe they don't see any cars anywhere or anything so it's the dome they're interested in right it just seems like you would look into this to make sure you're not gonna immediately get caught by the people who are living on what might be the same property so michael's key fits in the lock but it doesn't turn so then we see max using the same magicking lock picking powers to open it and then max is actually supportive here he says to michael like don't worry the key might unlock something inside and um fitting in with my theory of atherton being a time traveler this place is much bigger on the inside Ooh, maybe he's a time lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so when they first walk in, you see what looks like the entirety of the geodesic dome house. And then we have this whole other scene where they're, like, walking down a long hallway. And they're in a different room that's square. And there's so much space. Uh-huh. This is This is just, like, not how time and space work, writers. Set builders? <sighs> not in not in our universe. Not in our world. But right. you know. They live in a different world where there's like supernatural stuff. So they're searching, they can't find anything. Michael and, and they're like, Michael, why don't you hold the key again? Try to see a vision. He holds it, he focuses, he can't. So then Maria walks over to him, tells him to try again. Why? Maybe her energy, like, vibes with his energy, and, I mean, we know she believes in crystals and energies and... Cypress oil. scents, and, yeah, like, so maybe she has somehow realized that because they have something in common, that somehow her energy is going to help magnify this situation. I don't know. Yeah... But for whatever reason, she's right. And Michael sees the secret room that he then opens with his key because this building is just endless. Which, to be fair, I thought it was going to be like the whole rock wall was going to open. But instead, it just opens a trap door, which is so cool. (laughs) But it also seems slightly dangerous if you're standing near it. If you're standing on it, yeah. It reminded me, though, of uh, the only escape room I've ever done. There was a thing like that. We had to find a key, then we turned the key, and it, like, popped open something on the other side of the room. And uh, everyone looks very serious about it in this in this episode, in this scene, except for Isabel, who looks kind of excited. And I think that's what my face looked like, because that was my favorite part of the escape room. It was pretty cool. Yeah, that sounds really cool. They go down into this room where there are photographs hanging around. Maybe it's a dark room. You can't really tell. She lights a very old oil lamp with her powers. And assuming that the house has been abandoned since 1959, can she, like, create energy? Because I don't think that there's any fuel left in that or that it's stable. I think it would just, like, immediately blow up. Yeah. mm, Okay. All right. Whatever. Physics. Who needs it? Not us. (laughs) Nope. 
They don't get a lot of time to poke around, though, because, lo, it's the sheriff, or it's the sheriff's boots, followed by the sheriff who's way, way outside of his jurisdiction. Yeah. (laughs) And then he is way outside of his conscious mind as he is smacked over the head by Topolsky, who has somehow gotten there at the exact same time as everyone else. And who figured out where they were going based on her agent's information. Oh, I lost them at a gas station. Yep. Cool. Yeah, like he didn't even make it to the motel. He had, no, he had he flat tires no way before that. No. Maybe yeah. they got the information on the Marathon Geodesic Dome somehow from someone somewhere. I don't know. It's going to be really suspicious, though, this day when Jim Valenti doesn't show up to work, Kathleen Topolsky doesn't show up from work, and then these five children all don't show up to school, and Amy DeLuca's car is missing. Hmm. Hmm. And the Jeep that we can only assume is registered to Max and Isabel's parents is also missing. Hmm. Yep. Well, we'll find out on the next part, because this is To Be Be Continued. Yeah, it's our first to be continued. I wonder what's going to happen. All right. Well, we made it, y'all, to the end. We did it. South. All right. All right. Yeah. What was everyone's hot and saucy? I think my hot and saucy this week is Maria when she uh, comes up with her pee story and then has that cheeky <laughs> little smile because she's proud of herself or whatever. My hot and saucy this week is our good old boy, spiky hair, Michael Guerin, when he quotes Ulysses and he has this Mm. kind of saucy attitude about it. Like, oh, you think I don't know things? I know things. And then he like pulls out this classic literature quote. Yeah. I also picked Michael in the scene where he brings back candy for Maria because Mm. Realizing that you've been a bonehead and then making steps to try and improve your relationship with another person is super hot. It sure is. All right. So that just leaves us with Lisa's predictions. So Lisa, based on the next episode, which will be titled River Dog, what are your predictions about what is going to happen next in the series? I am deeply concerned about this episode. So we've talked before about the whitewashing of characters in Roswell, and I read how Mahandra Delfino, who is Latina and identifies as Latina, was cast in this role as Maria DeLuca, and Maria was initially supposed to be a Latina character, but they didn't want to upset the quote-unquote Latin community. Yep. And so they made Maria white, even though she's being played by someone who is actually Venezuelan-Cuban. So they said in this interview they were going to add diversity in other ways, such as one-offs, like the episode River Dog, which features Native American characters, and I am real scared that they're going to do an awful job and it's going to be deeply offensive. So we'll see? Yeah, and we will talk about it if, you know, we'll talk about whatever we need to. And also, um, just a just a note for WB. That's not how diversity works, you dummies. Yeah, they they were afraid they would offend the Latin community by, by casting having a, Latin a Latina person. character played by a Latina actor. Well, she doesn't look Latina enough. Oh, for okay, them. so she must not be. 
Right. Like, yeah. what? She's just yeah. as Latina like, as anyone else who's gatekeeping who by people who aren't even a part of that community. So that's cool. Also, like, you can't say, well, yeah, we whitewashed the main character and we had this other main character who was going to be Latina, but she's not. But, like, that's fine. We'll have the same amount of diversity by throwing in racist caricatures every once in a while. Right? That's the same, right? Yeah. Also, yeah. They, like, Maria did speak Spanish in the first episode. Yep. And then they just kind of forgot maybe about it. Maybe she's just studying it in school. Yeah, maybe it was like the pilot. They still were going with the idea of Maria being Latina. And then once it got picked up, they dropped it. Blah. Yeah. And it's like, oh, maybe she doesn't look Latina, but ha- have her speak Spanish. I promise you she sounds Latina. Yeah. <laughs> My plot-related prediction is that I I hope that Kyle, like, followed along so that he can save his dear old dad from evil Topolsky. Um, I really, I don't know where they're going to go with this because they've, like, locked their characters in this room, but I feel like these writers aren't clever enough to write a satisfying way for everyone to get out. So... Maybe the Native American will come to their rescue and be a great, well-developed character who just gets to be a hero for an episode. I say skeptically. Thanks for joining us for our discussion of Time Lords living in Roswell, New Mexico and Marathon, Texas. We'll be back in two weeks to discuss episode 7, River Dog. But first, check out our new mini-sode next Tuesday, where we will be sorting all of our favorite Roswell characters into Hogwarts houses. In the meantime, please subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcasts and rate and review to let us know how you think we're doing. You can always find us on the internet at roswellhotsauce.com for all sorts of additional content and show notes, uh, host biographies, and all sorts of cool stuff. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at Roswell Hot Sauce, sharing lots of crazy photos from the show. And you can email us at roswellhotsauce at gmail.com with any questions or feedback or to share your favorite Roswell memories with us. Sound editing this week was by Lorena Rose. Our theme music is by David Belcourt, who also acted as a production assistant for this episode, and I should also mention, is my father. Our logo was designed by Billy Murray. Until next time! Wiggle your nose, blink your eyes, do this Samantha Genie alien thing, come on!